Take your Bibles and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me this morning, verses 14 to 16. 1 Corinthians 2. As we turn to this text of Scripture, we are entering into a whole different world than what most people are used to. We're entering into a theistic world. Uh, it's, it's like a whole different uh, universe. Uh, what, what child hasn't been intrigued by the, by the idea that perhaps they could find a secret door that goes into a secret world? That's always been the draw of the Chronicles of Narnia, that uh, these children found a door at the back of a wardrobe and went into the, the, the land of Narnia and all the adventures and all that went with that and that what a thrill, what a, what a thing that we like to think about. We're going to turn now from a world view that uh, surrounds us today in the world and we're turning to, to thinking the thoughts of, of God himself. We're going to a theistic world here. You see, most of our problems begin in our, and end in our minds. Um, it's not that we lack intelligence. It's not that we lack the ability to think. Uh, it, it, it's that we naturally process all of our experiences and all of our observations and all of our feelings and all of our trials and all of our encounters with people and so much more through our minds. But here's the problem. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 tells us that the heart of the natural person is darkened. Natural person is found there as, as well as our text here. Uh, speaks of the unbeliever. Ephesians 4.18 says uh, tell, that the natural man is darkened in his understanding. And so we are, our problem is that our understanding is darkened. And so as we process all these things through our minds, uh, we are processing them through minds that are darkened if we do not know Christ as our Savior. Uh, so there is good news here for everyone here today who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, you have the, the, what he's going to talk about later, the mind of Christ. Uh, you have the ability to, to understand and think the way God himself thinks. Uh, the bad news is that uh, if you do not have the mind of Christ, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, you cannot process uh, life, you cannot process God, you cannot process yourself in the right way. For only the way of God is correct. And those are the minds of Christ that we'll speak of here. Another problem we face today, of course, is that there's very... Uh, little biblical knowledge even often in, among Christian people. Over 25 years ago, somebody had given a test. Uh, it was a fill-in-the-blank test to, to people that are supposed to be Christians. And here were some of the answers on that test. And things have not gotten better in the last 25 years, let me tell you. But here are some of the answers. And here's the fill-in-the-blanks. I'll just read it. Uh, Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. The seventh commandment is thou shalt not admit adultery. Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. The people who followed Jesus were called the 12 decibels. The epistles were the wives of the apostles. That's always one of my favorites. Uh, one of the opossums is St. Matthew. David fought, fought the Frankensteins in a race of people who lived in biblical times. And a Christian should only have one wife. This is called monotony. <laughs> well, any, any, low, uh, any recent test of biblical knowledge would uh, say that we haven't increased a lot in knowledge biblically in, in our world today. I, I would say if you went and did a fill-in-the-blank type of questionnaire in most secular places today, in our schools and our businesses or whatever, you'd find uh, very bad answers, something along the line of what we just read right here. But Paul is going beyond biblical knowledge. We need, as the very basis, we need to know Scripture, right? 
That's why we teach scripture. That's why we gather together around the word of God. As Jim said earlier, uh, God speaks to us through the word of God. And so we know nothing about what, what God thinks unless we go to the word of God. And so that is paramount. But there's, there's even a difference between the knowledge of God and the things of God and the wisdom of God. And as we think about that today, that's where Paul is going to. As he talks about these Corinthians, he's looking throughout the book, as we get later on into it, all sorts of problems, all sorts of sins, all sorts of issues among these people. But before he gets to the particulars, he's going to tell us why they have these problems. And the reason they have these problems is because of their thought process. They're not thinking with the mind of Christ. And because they're not thinking with the mind of Christ... Uh, they're allowing themselves to drift into all sorts of issues and sinful situations that were unnecessary and ungodly. These final verses of chapter 2, then, is, are, we're going to concentrate on the mind of Christ or thinking as Christ thinks. He tells his readers who can have, that they can have the mind of Christ or who can have it, who does not have it, and why some who do possess it, it makes no difference in their lives. So let's take a look. First of all, the thoughts of God are not for the natural man. That's the first thought. Verse, verse 14, he says this, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Although the things of the Spirit are clearly revealed through the apostles in the Word, yet by a certain category of people, they cannot be understood. They cannot be processed. And they're rejected. They're rejected. The natural man, he's speaking of the unbeliever, Back up in 118, he calls these are the people that are perishing, spiritually speaking. Uh, he is saying about these natural people, they do not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And the reason they don't is because they're natural. Now, that's really kind of a kind way of saying an you're an unbeliever or you're, uh, you're perishing. Or it's a pretty natural thing to say, a kind of nice thing to say, really. That is, you are, the, you are still the same person that you were when you were born. Uh, you were born natural. Here, here's your natural way of living, your natural nature, uh, your old self. And you were born that way, and you are that way, and you continue that way until you are, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, born again, born a second time. And so he's simply speaking of those who've been born once. They've been born naturally, and they live naturally, and they think naturally, and they process naturally. These are people who have not been transformed by the Spirit of God. They've not been regenerated. They've not been given a new nature. The Holy Spirit does not indwell them. And therefore, they do not have the capacity to understand and process and appreciate the things of Christ. Uh, they are in a spiritual state of blindness, of deafness, of hard-heartedness towards the things of God. Now, there are three reasons Paul gives us here as to why that's true. He says, first of all, the things of the Lord are foolishness to them in verse 14. They are but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. The natural person cannot understand the things of God because they don't make sense to them. They're ridiculous. They're absurd. Nobody lives like this. Nobody wants to live like this. And so that's the way they see it. The natural human looks at the gospel and says, that is ridiculous. That's what he said in chapter 1, verse 18. It's ridiculous. It's foolishness. Uh, the natural person looks at the philosophy of Christian living, and they say that that'll never work. That's not how I want to live. It'll never work. They take a, a look at the Christian lifestyle, and they said, who wants to be like that? 
If you don't believe that, just start speaking out a little bit at work or at school or wherever you are and start telling people what you really believe. And when you do that, they're going to start thinking, first of all, that you're nuts for the most part. They don't like your moral purity. They're not impressed with that. They're not impressed with your values. And the more, the more vocal you become, the more likely that people are going to turn on you. They're going to call you a hater. They're going to call you a bigot. They're going to call you judgmental. They're going to call you a racist. They're going to call you much worse. Because the things of God and the gospel of God is not appreciated by the natural person. Secondly, they cannot understand them. And this is an interesting phrase that gets lost here for us. He goes on and says, and he cannot understand it. Very simple, right? But it's something that you, as, you and I as Christians should process ourselves right here. When he says they cannot understand him, that's exactly what he means. It's not simply that they do not understand it or they will not understand it, but they cannot understand it. And that should give us a little bit of sympathy a little bit of empathy, a little bit of, of compassion towards the unbelievers that were around as we try to tell them about the things of God and they turn off to them because they cannot understand these things unless the Spirit of God does a work in their lives to open their eyes to truth. They cannot. I think it's important to know. You see, they don't have the capacity yet to understand the things of God. Let me give you a very crude illustration. Some of you think your dogs are almost human, right? I mean, I, I don't want to call out names uh, or put up pictures or anything, but, uh, you know, some of you actually think your dogs are human and, uh, and, and brilliant. I mean, your dogs are absolutely brilliant, right? Okay, well, go home today. Yeah, let's just have a test for Fido. Uh, go home today and start talking to them about algebra. You might have to brush up yourself first, but... But you start to explain to, to the pooch algebra, or even your bank balance. And Fido will sit there, if he's a good little dog, he'll sit there with his tongue hanging out, drooling on the carpet, wagging his tail and listening to you every word you have to say. And not understand a word. Now what's wrong with Fido? You just thought he was brilliant. You thought he's almost a human, right? What's wrong with him? He lacks a capacity to understand math. You say, well, I do too. I'm sorry. But you have some capacity. A dog does not. Now, that's very crude. I'm not comparing anybody here to a dog, so don't take that home. But look, the capacity to understand the things of God are not resident within the unbeliever. They cannot. They can understand facts. They can understand. They can read the Bible and get some details. But they cannot understand and appreciate the things of God. They lack the capacity. That's what God says. Now look thirdly, at uh, a third reason, they lack spiritual discernment. Verse 14, he goes on to say that because they are spiritually appraised. The word appraised here, and sometimes translated discerned, is found only in the, in the writings to, to the Corinthians by Paul, and they're found there ten times. They have a, a, probably a special significance to them, therefore. It was, a, it was used in the legal terminology in the Greek world of that area, uh, for the preliminary investigation of some kind of evidence. And so it's, it's the idea that the word of God here now is on trial. They're, these unbelievers are taking the word of God and they're, they're putting it on trial. They're weighing the evidence. They're looking at the facts. And when it's all said and done, they declare it impossible to understand. It's, it, it's, they're, it, they're, it, it's, it's, I'm going to try again here. 
I, I think I just developed a new habit. Okay? We'll, we'll try to get over that one. Maybe a drink of water would help. Huh? Okay, try it again. Because they are spiritually appraised then means that, that only those who have the, op- the ability, the capacity to take these things and really weigh them and really understand them can come up with the right conclusion. They lack that. The unbeliever lacks such a thing. They cannot assimilate these things and therefore they cannot make right spiritual decisions. They read words. They understand certain truths and facts, but they cannot unpack them in such a way that they can appropriate to their life and living. I've been watching a a, a sitcom on television for years that I really like. Some of you do too. The Last Man Standing. Some of you probably watched that. One of the more wholesome shows on television in recent years. Um, I really appreciate it. They had their last episodes this last week. And uh, if you've watched it at all, uh, one of the things that uh, was interesting, they had one character who actually claimed to be a Christian. Uh, He was a young man named Kyle eventually married into the family. And Kyle uh, made no bones about being a Christian. And in the last couple of years, he wanted to become a pastor, wanted to become a, uh, go in the ministry. And he's been moving that direction for the last couple of years. And Kyle has, has although he's never gonna clear, given a clear presentation of the gospel, has certainly lived out a lifestyle that would be pretty, pretty good for, the, for a Christian witness. And that's very unusual for TV, isn't it? So I have appreciated that. But this last week, it, it was very interesting some of you might have seen it. If you hadn't, you might want to go back and take a look. He goes into the, the office of the main boss, a guy named Ed, who is about 80 years old. I mean, kind of like a grandfather to him. And he says, uh, I would like to work part-time at the uh, store, the, out, uh, the store that they, they own there, and part-time at a church as I prepare to be a, become a pastor. Ed says to him, well, why do you want to be a pastor? He says, because I want to give people hope. That's a great answer. So Ed says to him, I'm going to be really paraphrasing here. I'm not going to be doing it word for word. But Ed says to him, well, uh, I will sign this paper if you can tell me how I can have the hope you have of going to heaven when I die. And Kyle was taken off guard a little bit and wasn't prepared to answer that question. And so he says, I will, I will go and study and come back and tell you. Next scene, a little bit later in the show, he is meeting uh, with, he has his table all spread out with books and, and Bibles and so forth, trying to come up with an answer for Ed. And his atheistic brother-in-law uh, said, well, why don't you just tell him what you believe? And Kyle said, because that's not what Ed wants to hear. And then we have another scene just a little later, and he's back in Ed's office, and he's going to talk to him now. Have you got an answer for me, Ed says, about how I can go to heaven? And he says, well, it's complicated. And he says, well, what's the answer? He said, well, in a way, Ed, you saved me. He said, and he said what do you mean? He said, well, I came to this place years ago, nine years ago, and I was a mess. My family life was horrible. I was lost. I had no place to go. You people took me in purely by your kindness and your love. You took me in. I became part of the family here. You have saved me. And I whispered at that time to Marcia. I said, you think he's going to actually give the gospel on television? Man, I was perked. And then I was disappointed. Because Kyle said to Ed, he said, um, and here's what he could have said. Here's Here's what I was hoping he was going to say. Just as 
You rescued me out of kindness and mercy simply because of your love for me. Then the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will come to him and trust him, will give you his, your eternal life. Not because you deserve it, not because of anything you've done, but because of his grace and mercy. At least that much. There's more to it that he could have said. But at least that much would have been wonderful, wouldn't it? But instead, he goes back to it's complicated. And he says, uh, you, you deserve a, a more complicated answer than I'm prepared to give you, in essence. And so he walks out the door, uh, leaving a man that he loves at the desk, he signed, who signed the paper and said, yeah, you can, you can work at the church as well. And as he leaves, he turns around and says uh, to Ed, he says, Ed, I know that I'm going to heaven, but I can't imagine heaven being heaven without you. He just gave Ed false hope. See? He, he, he wants to give people hope. I want to give you hope. Our church wants to give hope, but not false hope. Not false hope. We want, we want to tell you the message of Jesus Christ who in his great mercy and love came to the cross and died for your sins, resurrected from the dead, and offers you eternal life on the basis of, of receiving by faith alone that gift that he gives you, and that's the hope of eternal life. Kyle flubbed it. He came close, closer than anything I've ever seen on television, but he didn't get there. And so we must tell you the true message. It's a message rejected by most people, he didn't give Ed the message for one reason. Ed did not want to hear it. The, the Corinthians were not proclaiming the gospel at Corinth like they were supposed to, as we saw in chapter 1, because they didn't think people wanted to hear it. And so they gave a different message. And you and I face that same issue all the time, don't we? So the thoughts of God are not understood by the natural man. But now let's turn to a very positive Direction in verse 15. The thoughts of God are understood by those who have the Spirit. Verse 15 says this, But he who is spiritual praises all things. The word spiritual here is a pneumaticus, and it simply means a person that possesses the Spirit. That's a Christian. All Christians possess the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God lives in us. Uh, each person now has that capacity then to understand the gospel, and the depths of God that he speaks about in verse 10. Look at verse 10. For to us God has revealed them through the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Uh, we have that capacity now because the Spirit lives in us, but there's a problem that the Corinthians are facing. Drop down to chapter 3 and verse 1, and you see it. And I, brethren, would not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. These Christians, and he never doubted they were Christians, as far as I can tell. These Christians were not pressing on for the Lord. They were not growing in, in the understanding of the things of God. They were not living out the gospel of Christ primarily because they wanted to stay baby Christians. Let's call them Peter Pan Christians, okay? Remember Peter Pan? A book written about 100 years, old, years ago, been made into plays and movies and all that. Peter Pan was about a 12-year-old boy that... Is a, myth, a mythological character, of course, who is never going to grow up. He doesn't want to grow up. He doesn't want to be an adult. He doesn't want to deal with the adult things. He wants to have adventures and fun and, and thrills, but he doesn't want to grow up. Now, that might be fun in a book, but Peter Pan Christians is not the goal of the Christian life. 
It's not the goal of the Christian life to see how immature you can stay and get into heaven, squeak into heaven as you remain immature in the things of the Lord. In the next chapter, in this chapter 3, he's going to say that Peter Pan living is a myth, not a goal. But for now, I just want to mention one consequence of remaining spiritually a baby. And that is Peter Pan Christians find it very hard to appreciate and love spiritual things. In the original book of Peter Pan, Peter Pan could not love. And that's why he remained a baby. He could not love. These people could love. They weren't loving. They were not loving the joys, the wonders, and the glories of the Christian life. What, what are those? Verse 9, remember? Last time, verse 9, the things which I have seen and, and ear not heard, that which have entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, they were not loving those things. And the reason they weren't loving those things is they were spiritual Peter Pans. And because they were spiritually immature, spiritual babies, they were not thinking the thoughts of Christ. And that was to their great detriment that they were doing that. Their minds were not being renewed by the Spirit because they were not allowing the Spirit to work in their lives, although the Spirit lived in them. Isn't that a tragic situation? We've all had the experience of going out to water the flowers or whatever with our garden holes, and we, we turn on the spigot, we get out the holes, we shoot the water out, and nothing comes. Why? Because there's a kink in the holes back there somewhere. And we have to go back and unkink it before we can now spray. There, it is possible, matter of fact, that's why Paul is writing the book of 1 Corinthians, it is very possible that people can have the Holy Spirit living in them, they can have the new, new, new uh, nature, new capacity to understand and live out these things, and yet they are kinking the power of the Spirit in their life and they never progress, and that's what he's talking about. And it goes back to how we think. So the thoughts of God, the natural man cannot process. The thoughts of God, however, are understood by those who have the Spirit of God. Now, I want to go one more step. The thoughts of God are understood by those who are, he calls, spiritual. Go back to verse 15. But he who is spiritual praises all things. Who is this spiritual person? You look at yourself and say, well, it's not me. <laughs> I'm just not very spiritual. Why not? If you're a Christian, the Spirit lives in you. And that's all he's talking about. He is talking about, as he goes further, about appropriating that spirituality, allowing the Spirit to have his way in our lives so that we, pri we grow and we think like Christ. But he's saying that, that concerning those, that, 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 uh, that there's three things that this person who has the Spirit has. I want you to look at these with me. Number one, they possess, they possess discernment. Again, verse 15, he who is spiritual praises all things. Warren Wiersbe gives us a very nice definition of discernment as used here. He says, discernment is the ability to penetrate beneath the surface of life and see things as they really are. I'm going to read that again. I think that's excellent. The ability to penetrate beneath the surface of life and see things as they really are. That's what he's talking about here. The Christian has a unique position only the Christian who has the mind of Christ and the Spirit of God can look below the surface of what's going on in life and see things for what they really are. What a privilege 
is ours. What a waste if we don't take good use of that at this time. Only, our, only as our minds are renewed in Christ can we begin to appreciate the treasures of God. The unsaved person and even the fleshly Christian he talks about in chapter 3 uh, who thinks more like a natural person than a spiritual person have no basis to judge life. Now think about that. How do you process life? How do you process what's all going on here in 2021? How do, you, how do you handle these things? How do you make decisions? Because we live in a world of deception, folks. I, I assume you know that. The world's always been a place of deception, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And it's certainly there now in spades because we have all these communication forms that nobody's ever seen before the last decade or two. And so all this deception is pouring out all the time. How do you process that? How do you get through that? Many Christians are trapped by deception, unfortunately. Erwin Lutzer has written a new book that is uh, quite good. It's called We Will Not Be Silenced, dealing with the issues we're facing today. And he tells a story there of a, a college student who wrote, was riding his bike through uh, the, the town, and he came across a sign in a window that said, hot rolls for sale. He hadn't eaten breakfast, and so he said, man, that sounded great. So he stopped his bike, got, out of, got, off, got off, went into the store, only to discover immediately that this was not a bakery, but a print shop. And they were not selling hot rolls, they were selling signs. Deception. Deception everywhere. Everywhere we look, there is deception. There are people trying to deceive us, and we deceive ourselves. The big news here, the big news of this passage is we don't have to live in deception. The passage says pretty clearly, we, he who is spiritual appraises all things. We have been given a capacity through the Spirit of Christ and the Word of God to understand life as nobody else does. Now, you may not be a brilliant intellectual. You may not be a person who's going to write a bunch of books and be a philosophy teacher and all that stuff, and you may feel like you're overwhelmed with all that's out there in the media. Let me tell you something. If you know the simple truths of God's Word, you know more than almost anybody on the planet because you can discern what's going on. You can look below. You can look beneath. You can penetrate these ideas because of what he's offering here. The world basically processes life through pragmatism, what works, what makes people happy, uh, what gives them a thrill. Uh, we process it differently. Here's, here's how we process it differently. Our world, catch this, is wrapped around God. He is at the center. He's at the edges. He's all. And therefore, when we think about that, we realize, those who have Christ's spirit, that our life centers around God, not things. Our life centers around God, not happiness. Our life centers around uh, not ourselves, but him. God. God. That makes all the difference in how we live, how we think, how we process. Now secondly, not only do they possess discernment, here's something else, you're going to be misunderstood. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. Okay, even as you understand things that others do not, because you possess the Spirit, because you understand what Scripture teaches, because life is centered around God, and that makes you absolutely unique, 
Don't be surprised when the world does not understand you. That's what this, that, that little phrase is saying. The world do, does not understand you. They do not get it. They do not appreciate it. And don't be surprised if that happens, because that will happen. George Orwell has become very popular recently again. Uh, when he wrote the book 1984, it was prophetic. Here's what's going to happen when Big Brother takes over. And that book is getting a lot of play right now. I don't know if they read it in schools anymore or not. When I was growing up, everybody had to read Brave New World in 1984. Too bad we didn't pay a little, pay a little closer attention. But Orwell said this, The further a culture drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak truth. Hmm. I don't think he was a Christian. But he understood that truth is not appreciated by a world that doesn't love it. So you're going to be misunderstood. Thirdly, not only do you possess discernment, not only are you going to be misunderstood by those that don't have it. Thirdly, uh, you will have the mind of Christ. Well, look at this beautiful verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This verse implies that we can understand spiritual truth and spiritual wisdom in ways similar to the way the Lord knows them. We have the mind of Christ. Now, Paul, I, think, I think first and foremost, Paul is talking about himself and the apostles who have been receiving this revelation and giving it to us. But those who have the Spirit in them now can think like Christ thinks. Wiersbe says once again, to have the mind of Christ means to look at life from the Savior's point of view. Having his values and desires in mind, it means to think God's thoughts and not think as the world thinks. How, look at your own life, really. I mean, I don't know. You, you, you need to look. Um, how, how similar is your thought process, your goals in life, your ambitions, uh, your values, your, your family life, your everything? How similar is that to the way the average, natural, decent, unsaved person thinks and lives? Is there a true, deep distinction between you and the natural person? There should be, he is implying here, because we think like Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the capacity to think like Christ, to live like Christ, to have ambitions like Christ. The world misunderstood Christ, and they crucified him, right? So don't be surprised when we're misunderstood, but we have a clear window into the life of reality because we can have the mind of Christ. Verse 16 then is climaxing a whole argument Paul's making in chapter 2. Actually going back to chapter 1 verse 18. Remember that verse 18? For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. He's going back to that all the way through here. And he's saying don't be surprised when everybody around us, all the natural people reject. Reject the message we have to give because it's foolishness to them but to us who are being saved is the power of God so don't back off giving the message because the message is the only message we've got the only power there is to truly bring us to salvation so proclaim that message let the Greek philosophers pick on us he says let the Jews look for their signs let, let the world mock us uh, but they cannot really judge the message that Paul gives because they do not have the Spirit of God and do not have the mind of Christ. They do not have a new capacity or a new nature to process these things. A very brilliant man said years ago 
The first requisite for the people's happiness is the abolition of religion. That brilliant man was Karl Marx. He is brilliant by any measure. Lots of people believed him. Lots of people still believe him. His philosophies are becoming more and more in vogue. And yet here's a man as brilliant as he was who could not process the simplest truths of the Bible of Jesus Christ like you and I can if we have the spirit in us. He spoke as a worldly man and much of the world believed him because they could not understand either. Until the spirit of God controls our lives, we're in the same situation as Karl Marx. The spirit in us and the word that is given to us enable us to think as Christ would have us think. Let me summarize this very quickly for you. If you, if you, if you have the mind of Christ, you will see sin as Christ does. You will see the gospel as Christ does. You will see the world as Christ does. You will see time on this planet as Christ does. You will see eternity as Christ does. Don't let the world's influence rob you of the joys of the mind of Christ. You, you might have heard this term recently. It's been a very popular term lately called gaslighting. Uh, to, to, to gaslight. It goes back to a, a play that was written in 1938 in which in, uh, a man wanted to drive his wife nuts. Now, some of you husbands could write a book on that, but I won't go into that. But he wanted to drive his wife crazy, and so they had gas lights in their house. And so they... He started to slowly, just slowly, reduce that gas in such a way that the lights became a little dimmer every day. Day after day, after week after week. And this poor lady never realized that it, she wasn't going nuts. The lights were slowly dimming. But because it was so slow, he had manipulated her into thinking she was going nuts. There's the world right now, folks. With all of its philosophies, its critical race theories, its social justice movements, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all that's out there is gaslighting. It's the world's way, Satan in charge, of trying to convince you that you're nuts. That you don't have any idea what you're doing. That you're not processing life as, as you should. And you need to get on board. But you know what? That's gaslighting to manipulate. It's not the truth. The truth is this. You and you only, and I know this may sound arrogant, but it isn't. You and you only who possess the Spirit of God and the Word of God have the ability to understand life, the ability to understand God, the ability to understand yourself, and the ability to understand eternity. Aren't we blessed? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your Word. And Lord, we, as we even say this today, uh, we are reminded that while we're greatly blessed, those who know you, that we have all sorts of people around us and in our world and in our life who do not know you, that we desire so deeply that they would come to know you as Savior. And hopefully, Lord, even these words that we looked at today will, will be a catalyst in that direction, that we'll want others to know the message, that we'll not pull back as poor Kyle did because the world doesn't want to hear it and our friends don't want to hear it, but gently and sweetly, compassionately will tell people the great hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.